This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to the Weekend Must Watch on Intercut, where we wade our way through the week in theaters, streaming, and on demand. I am your co-host, Zachary Shevich. And joining me, he has the strength to make break men's bones. I have the cunning to break their minds. It's Arturo Zarita. You know, there's so many good lines for a movie about Vikings. I wasn't expecting to go in there and get a full meal of just like an epic, you know. Uh, Mm -hmm. We have so many movies to talk about from this weekend. It is that weekend where all the people say there are no original movies out there. No original ideas. Well, we got the Thor Love and Thunder trailer, which I don't think they had ready. But nonetheless, it's out there. Or you can go see a movie that actually has another version of Valkyrie, more Vikings doing more brutal things that you will never be able to see and marvel at Mm -hmm. in other movies that are out there. Yeah, the true Norse epic was finally released this weekend. Robert Eggers is... Uh, the Northman, part of a whole, you know, crew of, as you were saying, original movies that we've been getting uh, to start this year off that, that kind of would have you believe that maybe the movies are back a little bit. Theaters hey. are back. Movies are hey. back. Original writing is back. We never went anywhere, as some would say. <laughs> we never went anywhere. Um, let's let's get into it with the what we are watching and kick things off with the man, the myth, the legend, Nicolas Cage himself, and the film, The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, the most Nicolas Cage movie ever, uh, a film about uh, an actor named Nick Cage facing creative and financial obstacles um, who accepts a $1 million offer to attend the birthday party of one of his biggest fans and ends up in the middle of a CIA investigation. Art, you saw this one way back at South by Southwest and it promised to be the most, the cagiest movie ever Mm -hmm. complete with references and recreations and props and jokes and all sorts of things that should please the biggest of Nick Cage fans. Um, I was able to catch up with it this weekend, and I, my thoughts were a little bit more more divided. But how is the film sitting with you? You you uh, you still feel like you appreciated the journey? Yeah, I was able to catch it again. Uh, and you know, there's obviously a difference when you see a movie and Nick Cage is in the audience. I've been to Sundance movies where he's there. You know, we're all up at midnight, and everyone just gets reinvigorated when he comes out. Uh, but seeing this one, especially with how meta it gets, and then him being in the audience there, sitting down. Actually, you know, seeing him take in the movie Child Above style, very surreal. <laughs> you know, we've had a lot of those moments at film festivals, but uh, I enjoyed it. I really liked it. Still very much have fun with it. But as I said, there is almost a, a conceit to it in where it is aware of the meme that is Nick Cage. And it is not mm-hmm. a movie so much about Nick Cage as it is a movie about what we think Nick Cage is and where so many of his movies have become memes uh because you're able to take the character that leads to that one frame right where he's able to do that acting through his eyes or you know him just going berserk where it then gets cut out of contest and becomes a gif they decided Mm -hmm. well does anybody go back and actually watch the movie (laughs) if they don't why not just make a movie where it's nothing but gifs and i'd say that is where I had the one problem with it, and I'm kind of working on a video, and I was like, did they dupe him? You know, is it just a studio thing? He's still signed on. I think it's more so just the approach of him being willing to go with the fact that he is, Mm -hmm. uh, he's been memefied. He is aware of that. Yeah. They took that. They ran with it. They made a movie that is almost designed. They they call out Marvel movies. They call out Star Wars movies, uh, that everything needs a property. But at the same time, he himself is the property. It is his filmography that is the IP. And it is people knowing that, that they're getting them into the audience, uh, per se. Um, but it's almost falling for exactly the opposite of what it continues to claim the movie is. Right. 
I know you uh, <laughs> felt very different about it, Zach. So tell me. Yeah. Well, look, there there are things that are obviously appreciable in it, like it, in the way that it was really fun and cool to see John Malkovich be so game for being John Malkovich. It's very cool to see how game Nicolas Cage is here to send up his own personality and mm-hmm. reference all these iconic roles and kind of you know make fun of himself a little bit, even though it is in the form of a celebration and and there are parts of this movie where it is kind of just like guys being bros and and loving the movies that's like yeah i love to do that too i love to i love to sit around and talk about why paddington 2 is one of the greatest movies of all time but like that's that's that stuff is all cool it's the rest of this movie that i found to be it doesn't matter complete (laughs) misfire a complete misfire like unfunny boring uh completely cliched just a a waste of time honestly uh I, i i was very surprised at just like how useless so much of this is like they do this thing where they're kind of acknowledging what the movie is as they go Mm -hmm. along they're uh Cage's character and Pedro Pascal's character. I call it Cage's character because it's not really whatever. Uh, yes. But Cage and Pedro Pascal's characters are writing a script together and then like as they write the script, their script kind of becomes the movie we're watching. And like so many movies have been trying this and they just get, I think, worse and worse at doing them sometimes. Like this was my, my least favorite of it because all it ended up doing here to me was like they would say where they think the, tw- the movie should go and then the movie would go exactly in that direction in the most boring way imaginable. Like, I didn't care about the kidnapped daughter of the Catalonian president. I didn't care about the CIA investigation. I didn't care about Nicolas Cage's made-up relationship with his made-up daughter. Like, it's just, let's focus on the things we like about Nicolas Cage and not in this on this, like, half-cocked plot, you know? Yeah, the, the plot is definitely not the strongest aspect of it. Uh... It's definitely in their relationship because I thought Pedro Pascal was fantastic. I thought he was great. It turns out that he himself is like a major Nick Cage fan. And his whole like reason for bringing the movie was because he feels like uh, a lot of the movies that he watched growing up tended to star him. And he was quoting things back. He was telling the directors things that they didn't know. He was telling Nick Cage things he didn't know about himself. Right. So it's like, I, I thought like his performance really, uh, it, it shines through on, on both watches. Um, man, the plot was really boring the second time around. I will say that. Mm-hmm. Like it wasn't strong the first time around, but the second time around, it like, it really falls flat where you're just like, I really don't care about any of this. Like there are elements in where someone has a phone, yet they, they were not able to be contacted. By other people yeah. on their phone, even the though o- a big part is having their phone. <laughs> and the other thing that the plot does is it kind of makes their characters weaker, too. Like, is Cage supposed to be this kind of, like, daring, risky guy? Or is he supposed to be very nebbish and, and nervous and scared? Like, is he a coward or is he brave? Is he is he a great actor or is he unwilling to do... I don't know. It It... it it just made the movie less coherent in a yeah. way that I didn't like. Um... I don't know, man. Uh, I also feel like, like you were saying, like this movie doesn't even really get Nicolas Cage all that no. well. Like <laughs> it, it's, it feels like they're making an ode to Nick Cage from YouTube compilations and yes. not Nick Cage, who's a the meme. A- Academy Award winning actor who, yes, he's done a lot of bad movies, but that doesn't mean he's a bad actor. I agree. I th- I, this movie has a version of Nick Cage in their head where it's basically like guy has a quiet scene and decides to randomly yell loudly. And that's not who Nick Cage is. He's way more interesting than that. But even then, they really have the quiet scenes. One of the things the director kept telling him was like, nah, I want neurotic Nick Cage. I want neurotic Nick Cage. It's like the only thing they've done in the press run, and Nick Cage has to continue going, I'm just playing a character of myself. It's not really myself. Whereas they're trying to push you, like, this is the side of Nick Cage you've never seen. I was like, no, it's the, it's the only side you know of him. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And because of that, it's so played up, where, again, I can enjoy it. I can see the type of movie that it is, but then I can see, like, I don't know, you're almost doing the exact inverse of what you think you are. You're trying to be like, hey, there's more to the man than the meme, and then you just mean the man, the man. Make him the meme, yeah. So, I don't know. There is a version of this where uh, I enjoyed a lot of the jokes, and I cannot wait to see the deleted scenes, because as I've been telling you, the whole reason why they got him on there is this black and white uh, Dr. Caligari sequence that he himself says in the movie that he really enjoys. And there's a lot of sets up set up to it. 
it deals also with the little Nikki character, bro. It's like a huge moment thematically. It, it combines kind of air and face off. Like they're breaking down how crazy the scene is. Uh, I want to see it because that was the reason he jo- joined onto the movie. It got cut because Lionsgate said, "No, we're making a, a you know, whatever blockbuster." But Zach, there is a scene where they where they're tripping in the movie in the middle, and they go to a church mm-hmm. again. Another deleted scene, and he they're going to pray because they don't know what to do. And the statue of Jesus comes to life and looks at him and goes, I hate to be that guy. I'm a big fan. <laughs> there are moments. See, like, it, they should have stayed in the movie. It could have used more stuff like that. It could. I thought for a movie that's trying to market itself as this weird, introspective, meta, experimental thing, it was incredibly tame, incredibly structured. Like I, in my review, I, <laughs> I'm going to compliment myself, which is not something I like to do. But I thought I wrote something really funny in saying this is adaptation written by Robert McKee. And if you're a screenwriter, you know why that joke's funny. Um, it, it's it's the it's the most like boring possible version of a meta movie that uh-huh. that's not willing to challenge the audience or do some things that don't make sense. It's, it's just kind of bland. Uh, I see um, the had mentioned, this is the end. I think that's a really good example in this is the end. You're jumping through different characters. So you're never really getting mm-hmm. tired of the stereotype because they jump to somebody else. Oh snap. Now it's Channing Tatum. It's all these different. It's only one. And if they would have yeah. done something like bringing in Travolta, bringing in other co-stars, right. That would have been very funny. But they can't because their whole conceit was like, no, he's not real. He's a character of Nick Cage and it's not fully him. So what are we going to do with all these other ones? They, they almost put themselves in a hole. But again, I I give it a decent rent it, but it's yeah. definitely one to watch with the crowd. The more you know Nick Cage stuff, I don't see you not enjoying it. But I wonder the totally. rewatchability factor, considering that it is better to see the moments that made Nick Cage a meme as opposed to the moments that are really trying to fabricate another little gift for you to share on Twitter. Yeah. I do think it is telling, though, that most of the reviews that I've seen, even the the positive ones, are saying that Pedro Pascal is the one who steals the movie and not Nick Cage. Because Pedro is very, very funny in this role. He's great. Yeah. So a lot. Yeah. Uh, let's move on to what I think is probably the best movie released this weekend, and that is the latest from director Robert Eggers. It is The Northman. Boom, 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 boom. <laughs> Uh, about Prince Amleth, who, uh, after his father is brutally murdered, sets himself on a lifelong mission to avenge his father, save his mother, and kill Fjolnir. Robert Eggers, of course, is the man behind uh, movies like The Witch and The Lighthouse. Mm -hmm. So he's developed a reputation for making these very kind of immersive, heavily produced in terms of uh, period details and accuracy movies that are very like transportive, right? The, yeah. you, you really feel like you're, you're seeing a different side of the world. And my initial reaction, just like sitting through the first 20, 30 minutes of this movie is this is so much more epic and so much more visually stunning than any like fictitious CGI Marvel universe that they've tried to portray. Just like Robert Eggers, you give him $70 million and he's going to give you one of the greatest looking movies you've ever seen. And the other thing about him is that like, he still uses CGI. He just knows a way to use it. Him going into this movie, being yeah. the like festival darling that he's been, he said he's like, I, I know who I am. Like people don't know who I am. I'm I'm the independent guy. So much so that he's like, this is the big biggest movie that I've made. And then Twitter went crazy when they realized it's a Viking movie and what the what the dude looks like. And I was like, that's a little bogus, man. Like, <laughs> no, this is a dude who uh, <laughs> I, I think really appreciates the craft of filmmaking. Uh, one of our favorite parts of like the way he goes about it was even for a movie like The Witch, they tell you don't film with animals, don't film with kids, don't film near the water. He did all three of those in his first movie. <laughs> uh, in The Lighthouse, the opening lines of the script are, this is going to be shot in this ratio, completely black and white. Must be. Mm-hmm. That's what he released. You can't even understand half of the audio on that thing. Here, it's his biggest compromise. And, and it was really interesting hearing him talk about the making of this movie because he's like, this is where I realized I needed to play with the studio more. I don't get the option mm-hmm. of having a like full final cut because there's going to be a back and forth. I know that in his mind, he would have made the entire thing Nordic. So knowing that he's got to do that compromise of it being in English, and then it's only like when mm-hmm. they break out into songs, or you're seeing someone do a prophecy where they're going back to the language. I was like, damn, he thanks one Theo Corona in the credits. 
Ari Aster, and then also Chris Columbus, a big Harry Potter director. Mm. Um, but right. it's in like that uh, whatever relationship he has with Ari, who also built that massive Bible when he was doing Midsommar, that yeah. you just know that there are a lot of details in the movie that like harken mm-hmm. back to whatever crazy Nordic you know backgrounds. Um, and that's because I think a lot of people are like really invested in this stuff. Vikings on Netflix yeah. and Valhalla on Netflix, two separate shows, Huge. both trended. Um, I know this is a movie where it is playing in some Dolby theaters, and if you have the opportunity to see it in Dolby, like I had yeah. the chance to, um, hopefully too. it's a big screen because he also shot it in two one, meaning that it's like it's not your standard widescreen thing. That thing is opened up beautifully, and I'm a sucker for that. And he he killed it. He filled the screen. I don't know if this is going to be everybody's cup of tea. I'm just going to be completely honest with you. Like I asked my brother, yeah. I was like, you, you, you tell a trailer to this movie. I don't know if it's been playing during the NBA play. He's like, that that has not played during the NBA playoffs at all. Um, I was like, okay, I think they know their target demographic. I feel like they're almost playing a green night with it. And I don't think it's fully green night, you know, in where yeah. it's a movie where regular audiences are going to go in and be like, oh, this is pretentious. I, I don't think it plays that at all. But it's very authentic in that it's not just complete fighting. It's a character drama of the Northman himself. Right. It will stop and have all of these prophecies and get into this like CGI family tree to kind of get you into like the mindset of this character. Mm-hmm. And it slows the movie, well, but it does so to be able to have an emotional impact. So I, I, I know a lot of people have been saying like, is this like a bro movie? Or is this is this you know more on his independent side? And I think it's a mixture of yeah. both, and that's why I really respect. Yeah, it's it. a little both. It's a little bit of both. Like it, I do think there's gonna be some stuff there to satisfy your average 300 watcher, right? Like there is so. some brutal Viking combat. Uh, we have some people in the live stream commenting on how how savage the film was. I don't think this is the bloodiest action movie I've ever seen. I don't think this is necessarily like the most uh, like. I don't know, bloodthirsty one, but the brutality, the barbaricness. There's like a certain level of like savagery. I've never seen in a big action scene somebody uh, swing through a whole bunch of people and then take a bite out of one of them. Like it is, it is uh, barbaric. It is yeah. savage. It is Viking. You know, like it, it really works on that level. And uh, obviously, like I don't know what an authentic. Uh, what an authentic Viking <laughs> movie looks like, but like there's something about it that feels very authentic. Maybe it's yeah. just because of how he has researched it, but it, it, it's like, I don't know, man. Like he really does make that world feel real. The, the, ceremonial dances they'll do before a battle the the way that they'll yell like alexander sarsgaard screaming at the top of his lungs is just like shoot that into my veins that is adrenaline right there very animalistic Um, i like that yeah Yeah, i mean Um, you talk about the yeah i mean it it works it works better here than in tarzan i guess uh it's definitely one of my favorite roles that i've seen from him because i think he is a really talented actor that isn't necessarily always put in the best slot Mm um you talk a little bit about the prophecy stuff and the the viking stuff it is cool because i think he has an arc as a character that is not necessarily like satisfying in the traditional like we want to see him get the things that we would want to get type of way. Like there's a version of this movie where he could like go off and have a better life. And that that's not what it means to be the Northman, right? Yeah. The Northman has to fulfill his legacy as a Viking warrior. And I think in terms of setting all that up, all the stuff with the family tree was really intriguing too. Like, I think it really does give you a, a very different type of journey and one that is both like intellectually stimulating, but also just viscerally satisfying. Yeah. Because a lot of it, like you said, it's, it's, he's willing to drop everything in order to make sure that as he says in the trailer, avenge his father, save his mother, uh, and kill Anya Taylor joy. I thought was fantastic in this movie. That is where the big emotional aspect I think comes in for me. Cause I wasn't expecting for them to have like a really solid relationship, uh, mm-hmm. considering that they're, you know, they both end up in a kind of similar scenario, the back and forth that they had with each other in particular, the whole, are you lost line? 
mm-hmm. really liked it. There are some moments between the two of them that I like. I thought that dialogue was up there with one of my favorite scripts of last year. It may sound like so out of pocket, but like power the dog. There are some sequences where they were able to be vulnerable and power the dog. And the way he's able to be vulnerable as this big Viking dude in here, I was like, yo, this movie has depth. Um, I'm very curious to watch it again to see how what else I'm able to pick up. Uh, obviously, it's a lengthy movie. It's over two hours. But if you have the opportunity to catch it and you obviously if you've enjoyed the man's previous works, this is the biggest thing he's done. Go out. Give that a watch. If you're expecting uh, you've never seen any of these movies and, and you're expecting like this big, you know, action 300 fest. It, it's not going to be that all the way. But know that it is a very good um, journey of a man's life back in the day that I think is the closest to being uh, what it would have been like uh, with oneers, <laughs> with with shields smashing someone's jaws, they have to eat it. Yeah, some real crazy stuff. So I don't think even uh, I don't think it will <laughs> bore you, um, but it's still nonetheless a two-hour Viking epic. Where yeah, it does have its like it prophetic is- scenes. It is long and it is patient. Like there's a couple moments where you feel like they could just kind of like go into the won't. big battle and then they don't but it, it's all purposeful and I think I also think this is one of those movies that might feel a little bit long on the first watch but once you know why all the pieces are there point. on a rewatch it, it'll feel a little bit uh, it'll flow a little bit better you know homie's got like um, a four hour cut too <laughs> yeah oh Somewhere. yeah oh yeah um a lot of people mentioning nicole kidman being very good in this one i thought she was great she has a monologue here that is so good that it makes up for being nominated for being the ricardos i don't know about that but it is pretty good <laughs> um i think maybe we can take uh, uh we can take this conversation offline and do like an after credits or something because i don't know if i'm ready to do like a whole let us explain yeah. but i'd love to talk spoilers with you at some point on northman so uh, we definitely approve of this one. We had a question from Devesh asking, Dune or The Northman? Oh, Pretty Dune. sure I know which way you're going to go with this yeah, one. I mean, Dune, Dune, you've Dune, only seen on. one of those movies five times in theaters. Yeah. And again, it's also early, but Dune, 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 Dune. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, man, I mean, The Northman just feels more complete in a way. So there's there's part of me that wants True. to say that, but I'm, I'm still really fair. excited to spend more time in Dune's world. Mm-hmm. Uh, a few people are also talking about the possibility of its Oscar nominations. Okay, you say Northman and- too, bro. I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> okay, what about it? Well, so it is like a beautifully designed movie, right? And it's not like a small indie. They put a lot of money into this. Focus Features has campaigned films to yes, Oscar nominations successfully in the past. Uh, you know, I think this is different than The Green Knight, which is also, as you mentioned, a little bit more introspective, a little bit more meditative. I think there's enough to latch onto here that I would not be surprised if this does remain in some Oscar talk, although it, I, it might still be a little bit too weird for maybe like a best picture nomination, but yeah. like th- the technical aspects of this movie are stunning, like a production design, score. costume design, score, Easily. stuff like that. Hey, yeah. I mean, uh, look, if DiCaprio got his award for Revenant, I connect him more with Why the Northman's character. I thought the veracity that he brought into it, look, man needed to sleep in a carcass. Is that is that all he was missing? I think everything else that he did, uh, I think was up there. Did you hear about Zach? The CGI, Please, the CGI balls. You ever heard? <laughs> no. <laughs> Please there's, tell there's me about big, CGI balls. There's, there's a big epic scene where they fight naked. Uh, oh and right! Because of all the logistics and all the all the swinging of the swords, uh, <laughs> they had to CGI the balls in. I don't know. I just thought that was funny. I thought you should know, Zach. CGI the balls. He, he had to do, did you? He, he did you find this press. movie funny? Um, I like I like from the movie funny or like moments. myself in like observing it. Because there are some I mean, funny moments in the movie, but there are just like mm-hmm. sequences that made me chuckle that, yeah. that aren't meant like, to be funny. Like, I don't think this is a comedy, but I think there is some humor in the way that it's presented. I, I think Robert is a funny guy. I think he's one yeah. of those dudes who's like super serious, comes out super serious in on film. But The Lighthouse was a comedy. Like, Robert's come out and he said, yeah. he's like, if you're not watching this movie as nothing but like a balls-to-the-wall comedy, I don't know what else to tell you. But well, we have to do an after credits for it. But it gets yeah, my yeah. recommendation. Again, uh, watch the trailer. Maybe watch one of his previous movies. And if it still drives you, then go see it in theaters in Adobe. Uh, if not... I hope you still get the the chance to watch it at home because I think it's still a very crazy story and one that you definitely should watch by the end of the year. 
can I get a real quick Eggers uh, rating or uh, Eggers ranked list from you? The Witch. Northman, hey, Northman could pass it up. I'm not gonna lie, because I think mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. technically have them both around the same rating. Uh, and then Lighthouse, but you know, I, I I'm doing a Lighthouse rewatch because I haven't really seen it. I saw I saw Robert Pattinson saying the lines <laughs> at the tip premiere before they ever appeared on screen. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think I'd go. I don't know. Maybe it's just because I'm hot off Northman. I, I think I would have put Northman number one. Hey, we liked and then, it. Okay. Uh, Lighthouse two and and Witch three, but. I, I'm due for a rewatch on pretty much all of those. So hey, you think Pattinson is see. in the movie? Because we'll we really had a reunion of all the previous two appearing at least at one point in this movie. Maybe Robert was like, oh, maybe he played a tree, a shield. I'm, I'm hoping there's like an Easter egg. <laughs> one of those dead bodies on the ground? I hope so, man. Because like everybody yeah. really did come back. I swear I even saw uh, the black sheep, the black goat somewhere in there. So <laughs> That'd be cool. All right, let's talk about the biggest animated film released in this weekend. It is the new DreamWorks animated movie, The Bad Guys, uh, about a group of infamous bad guys who try to go good. This comes with the vocal stylings of familiar faces like Sam Rockwell, Mark Maron, Aquafina, Craig Robinson, Anthony... Uh, Ramos and Richard Iowade, as well as Zazie Beetz, Alex Bornstein, and Lily Singh. Uh, charming family comedy that has some kind of like crime heisty elements. What did you think about the bad guys? I was not looking forward to this one at all. We are in that era of like, hey, they're bad, but like maybe they're good. Maybe it's like your <laughs> fault for the fairy, excuse me, fairy tales that y'all have told. Which is funny because it's, these things are coming from Disney, they're coming from DreamWorks, they're coming from all of the studios that perpetuated exactly what they're now trying to unperpetuate. Um, right. It was decent, dude. It, it was kind of cute. I yeah. like this idea of uh, where you have these characters that don't realize uh, that they kind of like need each other. You know, they've all kind of mm-hmm. been outcast to a degree where it is the stereotyping of them uh, and... The fact that they've never really had other people that brings them together. I thought the humor was also pretty funny in this, uh, especially mm-hmm. from Zazie Beats, who plays the the mayor character. There are moments, you know, where they're like observing art for a heist, and he's like, "Ah, it's garbage," and he's like, "But let me take a picture with you, you know, while I still have you with this garbage." And she's like, "Don't be so hard on yourself." There was like some actual digs. Alita was looking over, she's like, "Yeah, are you a lot to say that in a kids movie." I was like, "I don't think it's that bad, but it's kind of mean." It's, it's like it digs at the core of some of these characters. Um, it's still able to have, you know. All the fart jokes, all those kid jokes, all the, you know, uh, crazy animation that I thought was pretty interesting. I, I did not – I actually kind of liked the animation. I liked the style that they were going yeah. for. It was really cool to see a lot of the action set pieces. Um, there's a character, I think, Alex Bornstein, right? That's her name from um, yeah. Miss Juan. The, uh, fin, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, family Mazel. Guy and stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. Family Guy. Uh, she, like, voices one of the most animated characters in the cop who's, like, trying to get them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I thought she did a really good job with that. Yeah, as well as shout out Richard to, um, shout out to uh, Mauricio from Brown Table, who we've had on the podcast a couple times. Like, he is an animator, right? So he knows animation stuff way better than we do. And, like, I, I sometimes see a movie like this and I think, like, oh, yeah, that looks good, that looks good. But he pointed out um, in some of his tweets just the facial animations are so involved and the, they're so expressive uh, it's kind of thing that I don't know if I would have picked up without him pointing that out but mm-hmm. I, I went into the movie paying attention to that and they are like extremely expressive Not extremely good. animated faces in, in very in like a very fun entertaining way like they kind of I, I think Sometimes you ignore little elements like that, but it really does make the scenes so much more dynamic. Yeah. Um, I also just really enjoyed the the kind of like th- heisty elements that they put into this movie. Like it was decent. They all, it's it's kind of like they wanted it to be like Ocean's Eleven, but with with animals or something. And they bring you know, it up I, a little I, bit too, which I thought I was like, of course. Yeah. Um, I will say, do not look up this movie on imdb if you're gonna go watch it because believe it or not i got <laughs> spoiled bro <laughs> they really spoil it for you so that's all i'm gonna say i'm not gonna say another thing just if you're curious and watching it you're gonna go take the kids or you're gonna go take watch it with the family hell maybe even want to go watch it yourself you're a big animation buff just don't go search it up because mm-hmm. it did actually spoil something for me um but yeah go give it a go give it a watch give it a catch um it's based yeah. off of a series of books so we may even have some future ones Interesting, yeah. I mean, I would definitely be down to to spend more time in this universe. I thought it was fun. Bad guys, I, um, <laughs> maybe not that much, but um, 
I do think that almost because it's coming so close off the heels of turning red that maybe it's going to be getting a little bit less love because hmm. I, I still think turning red is the best animated film I've seen so far okay. this year, but this one's really solid and I, I don't know. I, I hope people give this one a bit, a bit of a chance too. a lot better than I expected. One more film that hit theaters as well as virtual theaters this weekend is a movie that I first caught at the New York Film Festival last year. It is Hit the Road. It is a film from Pana Panahi, the son of Jafar Panahi, uh, interestingly. Uh, and it is his first movie about a family road trip across uh, across the country. And it, it's... Very interesting plot because it's one of those films where a lot of it's sort of done from the perspective of the young child who you might see on the film poster here if you're watching along on the live stream. Um, so a lot of the heavier material or the, the you know, bigger discussions are sort of had in the interim spaces when the kid can't hear them, like he's asleep or he's off playing or something. So it's a movie that really reveals itself in these small moments or not even necessarily in dialogue, just in through some of the ways the characters interact. Um, and I really loved this kind of portrayal of a family living through this moment in that they're, they're both trying to accomplish something for their own safety, but simultaneously trying to keep their youngest, uh, you know, safe from the knowledge of what's around him, right? Keep, maintain his innocence in a way. Mm -hmm. And I think it ends up in this really lovely place where it's both an emotional movie, but a, but kind of like an uplifting, heartwarming film in a way too. Uh, I thought there was a lot of really wonderful humor here and the story is very interesting. I'm I'm hoping more people catch up with this one because I think it's getting a little bit of just like a, a quieter release, but I thought it was a very lovely movie. I have that one on my radar. I definitely hope to catch it soon. Yeah. Yeah, so hopefully we'll talk a little bit more about that if you get a chance to catch up with it. But that is what we have for theaters this weekend. Uh, only a little bit in terms of streaming movies. There is a film, or a documentary rather, that's been all the rage on Netflix, although haven't really seen a lot of people say too much positive on it. But Art, what did you think about White Hot, the rise and fall of Abercrombie and Fitch? And maybe I should start with this by asking you, you have any Abercrombie and Fitch in your closet? No, bro. <laughs> no. I think the nah, I was always scared of their stores, bro. But their stores are crazy. Yeah, you can smell them from a mile away. They had dudes outside like it was a, like it was a club. Uh, yeah, no. Uh, so they used to be in malls, Zach. Do you remember malls? <laughs> yeah man who what about malls what happened to malls what they say it was like it's like an online store but like you could walk around um <laughs> so yeah no it, it's your decent by the number stuff I, I was looking forward to it to see what breakdown they were gonna have you know a lot of these like docs could really just be uh like vox videos <laughs> being honest um it's just a look back at a, a really big fashion brand that is crazy to think some kids really don't even know about uh that really just built its entire stuff on being very snotty being very pretentious and more than that trying to define what the all-american brand is and it's kind of like when you listen to one of those podcasts and you're like oh i wonder what the ending's going to be uh, racial injustice uh it's your standard doc. It doesn't do anything too profound, but I think if you don't know anything about the brand, it's a good recap on how crazy things, uh, I guess, we're getting in the most subtle way back in the 2000s. Mm -hmm. I think it's really funny to hear a lot of people who I know worked at the stores, who I know were a lot of this stuff. They're just going like, oh, yeah, that's crazy doc. It's out there. Did you guys see the John Wayne Gacy <laughs> one, though? Um, <laughs> it's like it, it's a doc that like blames the people who made the company, but not the people who perpetuated the company, not the people who bought those. Mm -hmm. Uh, Bought in. Yeah, dude, I, I completely forgot about their graphic tees, man. They had like crazy, <laughs> super racist graphic tees that people were mm -hmm. wearing. And they they don't have all of them because they said they burned a lot of them. But like, yeah, I didn't know how many protests there were against Abercrombie and Fitch. But again, a little good recap on Netflix if you were curious to catch catch the doc. Yeah. I'm a little surprised. I just am learning this now from Letterboxd that this one was directed by Allison Clayman, yes. who is actually a pretty interesting director. I, I really like her IYY Never Sorry film and uh, Jagged, which was part of the HBO um, music box series. M maybe well, not her best work. Now she got a Netflix one, too. 
<laughs> All right, let's get into something that's maybe a little bit better from Netflix, and that is season two of Russian Doll, the return of the Leslie Headland, Natasha Leone, and Amy Poehler created mm-hmm. series. I keep waiting for Amy Poehler to show up in like a one episode role. I'm good. Or she something. doesn't. I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm happy she doesn't. Good, she doesn't. <laughs> it works for you. Yeah. Um, so this is the this is a return to what was in its first season a bit of like a Groundhog Day plot, right? Where mm-hmm. Natasha Leone's character is living through the same day over and over and over again and must figure out how to break the loop. There is a uh, there is a different twist in the story in terms of season two in that it's a little bit more of like a time travel loop. Uh, it, it's a little less conventional, I think, than the. I mean, not that the first season was very conventional, but even more uh, further from conventions in terms of how time travel, time loop stories are typically told. Um, And the thing about Russian Doll, which it did well in its first season, but goes even further to in its second season, is it's not going to slow down to explain things for you. It's not going to slow down to explain to you the, the history of world of... Eastern Europe post-World War II. It's not going to explain to you the history of of Jews in that time of of history. Uh, It's not going to explain to you why she's suddenly in 1968 instead of uh, 2022. But if you stick with it and kind of just let your body feel the waves, it's, it's a pretty awesome ride. I dug the second season quite a bit. What did you think about The Return of Russian Doll? Yeah, I'm a huge fan of Russian Doll season. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think I love season two, even though it diff- as different as it is. And I don't want to get it, it and spoil it for anybody. I think I love it just as much. Originally, this was supposed to be a trilogy. I am wondering if they're like done with it. Because, mm. I mean, season one ended in a really great place, but left you wanting more. Season two has a perfect ending, in my opinion. Yeah. It's it al- has. It's almost like, how could you come back from, I don't, from I don't the way they've raised back. the stakes. I'm, I'm so good with, with where, where it ends almost. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I'm very curious. I know that they did switch showrunners. Natasha ended up becoming the showrunner. I haven't gotten fully into that yet because uh, I guess her leading it now maybe have they, they took it in a different direction. I don't know if, you know, with Netflix and the way that they deal with seasons, they weren't going to complete the uh, all three. I'm so not sure. I'm never going to complain about not getting another season, but... I think the way that they completed this one, it was like a really nice uh, way of closing the loop, I guess I would call it. But if you have not seen Russian Doll, do yourself a favor. My mom caught the first season mm-hmm. and she was just like, I don't know. She's got a really big potty mouth. I was like, well, I see you're on season two. She's like, yeah, I, I got to find out where it ends. <laughs> so uh, I, I think that there's a lot of intrigue there, not just from uh, the time elements, not just from a lot of the historical stuff, but it's a nice Easter egg show that the when you rewatch it, you pick up on a lot of cool things. Oh, haven't those guys appeared in several different things? Like, isn't this mm-hmm. something that was referenced in the past? And then just the emotional arc. I think the characters are very engaging, and um, I can't wait to rewatch the show. This is one of those where I, I yeah. like. I want to own it. Like I really right. love Russian Doll. Yeah, I mean, it's. I think this second season, there's a lot of stuff that happens that I don't know if I I can really explain like the logical reason why the story goes from A to B. But I found it com- so interesting. And I was just sort of. You don't letting care. it wash You're over me all yes. the jo- right yeah like there's just so much interesting so many interesting choices made so many interesting worlds that we'll just dip a toe into something they'll suddenly go somewhere and the environment is completely different and rather than asking like why are we suddenly here i just i just want to take it all in because they're just strong such strong compelling choices that get your brain going i don't know mm-hmm. uh i i was I was really into the way that this one felt like falling down the rabbit hole. Um, this was also like an extremely Jewish season of television, which was pretty cool. Very much, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm, there's so much more Hungarian than I was expecting in this season. But it, yeah, I just thought it was a very fascinating story. I, I, it, and when it did sort of get to its finale, I, I found it to be way more emotional than I was expecting, given just how out there it is you know i i went from feeling like i was falling to suddenly feeling you know overwhelmed with, by 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 the connections the show is making yeah uh that finale is really really excellent like i i think 
I was not sure how I would feel about the season while I was in, while I was watching it, even though I was enjoying it. But when it does wrap things up, it just feels so right. Um, I'm seeing some people saying that they didn't love the first season. Do you think that uh, they should try season two if they weren't that big of a fan so. of the first season of Russian Doll? Yeah, I think it's a good way. And like, if you stuck out with the first, I think it's a, be interesting to see how it wraps up. Like I said, it's also like it's in a different direction, but not fully. Like you said, there's different elements to it. They're they're doing something uh, a little bit off kiltered. Um, so I'd say check it out. Maybe it vibes with you better. And then I know Hillary had mentioned uh, about rewatching season one. I think the, the yes. recap does it for you. Uh, and they do a good job at catching you up. It's not, not too difficult with even like starting with season mm-hmm. two if you wanted to, per se. But uh, rewatching season one, I would always recommend. Yeah. Especially uh, because of the, think- the episode with her mom, I think, is, is definitely the episode Sorry, that should be rewatched. The episode with her mom. Yeah, no, there's definitely stuff that you will benefit from having seen uh, or having it fresh. But the thing about season two, it is it is mostly such a different animal that I don't know if you need to do that rewatch. I thought I, I felt a little bit lost on the first episode of the second season, but I realized that I was just lost because they were just they were off in a new direction. It's yep. not because I didn't remember stuff. They're just this is a new story. Um, and it's taking elements from the first season story, but it is telling a di- completely different story. And yeah, it might rather than seeing a character show up and be like, oh, yeah, I remember that guy. Maybe you'll remember why you remember that person. Mm-hmm. But I don't think you necessarily need to do the rewatch if you don't have the time or don't necessarily want to. Yep. Um, so another TV show that we've waited a long time to get more of is also back. Barry Talk about is it. back on HBO. Just debuted its first episode of the first third season last night. Uh, the return of Bill Hader's Midwestern hitman turned aspiring actor who has gotten himself into a pretty deep hole personally and professionally by the start of the third season. I forgot how much I loved this show because it has been so long. And then like the episode starts up and you immediately realize you're just being you're you're in the hands of a master. The way that Bill Hader has just kind of like upped his game and the has made this show so cinematic and dark and and just wonderful in the in the weird uh way that it is. I I'm so in awe of it you know Atlanta is another show that's on right now that I think is competing with shows like Barry and Succession for like the title belt of like the best show on TV but the thing that's very different about what like Atlanta will do and what Barry will do Atlanta is giving you a very like surreal very unexpected very experimental stuff Barry is somehow doing a lot of that but like in this very linear coherent story in in a way where like we are evolving with these characters and just in terms of episodic TV it, it is such a remarkable achievement. Uh, the, I love how cynical the show is probably going to get this year from, from the looks of it. Um, I don't know, man. I'm, I'm really happy it's back. It's so, so good. The, it came back right away and reminded us why it is like it, it, it has this dangerous edge to it and also reminded us that Noho Hank is the funniest character on TV. So I'm very, very ready for this third season of Barry. But what, what did you think about the first episode? Uh, I still got catching up to do. <laughs> I, st- I still got. Oh, really? I still got catching up to oh, do. Oh, I didn't realize you weren't no, there yet. Okay. I had like the last two episodes of season two. I never got to finish it, but I know that they were able to send us some of the episodes. So, uh, I'm. Pr- Did you finish them? Yeah, all? we got six. Are you done I, with them? No, I haven't. Ha- I haven't watched the. I'm probably going to watch them immediately after we're done live streaming, though. <laughs> um, but no, I don't. The, I I thought the first season was great. It, it gets my recommendation as well. All right, cool. Uh, you watched a show that I didn't get around to on Hulu called Captive Audience. Yeah. Tell me a little about this Really one. quick. It's in three parts. I, I was able to catch the first two, and it's interesting because it's like we all know about all the crime dramas and thrillers and serials that are out at the moment, and this is pretty much looking back at a, at a kid who uh, wasn't just kidnapped, but in his kidnapping and post he was being questioned. It became something that all of the media conglomerates like wanted a piece of. And it's in all of that harassing to be able to create a story and having a person relive that trauma that he became like the captive all over again. Um, 
I know that there's a TV movie that was made about this dude. Um, and I think that the docu-series, again, in three parts on Hulu, does a does a decent job of not just looking at uh, the case and the people around him, but also just that idea of how the news ends up creating another cycle of abuse. Um, so I know it's, it's, it's interesting considering that it's like Hulu's still to a degree, I guess, guilty because they're also making, you know, yet again, right. another thing that they're saying. Uh, and they bring in the family and she's like, I feel like everybody already knows all this, but I guess I'll sit here again and say something about it. And it's like, isn't that exactly what you're commenting on? Um, right. But it's interesting contrasting that again with like what was the number one show on Netflix this week, which was once again, another John Wayne Gacy Peacock's got the mm-hmm. John Wayne Gacy. I mean, especially because we're here in Chicago, uh, that man, he, he buried bodies in backyards, like, and people are just fascinated by that stuff, and they continue to trend that mill. But, um, you know, it's, it, it, it asks some interesting questions, and I guess there's no other way than mm-hmm. to, like, pose those questions without yeah. also trying to, like, dive in there. It's funny because I think the true crime genre as a, as a whole is started, is, like, really trying to reckon with this idea of, like, where do we fit in terms of telling stories but not being exploitative, right? Because, like, obviously, it's a it's a huge cash cow. But I think when it comes down to, like, maybe the filmmakers themselves and you get deep into their story, like, maybe they just get too deep and then they realize, like, how ethically compromi- compromised they've been and then maybe they want to backtrack a little bit or something. But, and yeah, you like you said, like... A lot, a lot of filmmakers have tried to implement those elements into the story they're telling, but I don't know if anybody's really struck the right line between exploitation and and information. I don't know. I guess I could give it a second to think, but no, it's it's usually it's going to be exploitation. It's in the exploiting of it that you're getting the story across. But then yeah. just don't be like, isn't that crazy that someone else did that? Anyways, I'm gonna do it too. Um, right. I guess the last one that I have, the one that I would recommend, and it's going to be a nice little twofer. I'll talk about it quick because it's going to be my recommendations for the week. Apple just released their docuseries just as Showtime, or it should be called Showtime, but it's called Winning Time on (laughs) HBO. The Winning Time show just wrapped. It's about the Lakers, how big they were, all that stuff. And of course, Magic Johnson needed his own docuseries, which he rightfully deserves. They Call Me Magic over on Apple TV Plus uh, is a look at uh, Magic Johnson and his beginnings. And, you know, it's him kind of doing, you know, everyone's trying to do their last dance stuff. But he's one who, like, mm-hmm. rightfully deserves it. And if anything, uh, I think this is something that could have been longer because they try to do the jump around thing. And you kind of get, uh, you mm. if you're not a sports fan. I do think it could be confusing the way that they just go like, yeah, and then we came over here. It was 1992. And, hey, you know, after we had won it all, it's like, oh, just, just yeah, of course. Uh, <laughs> I, I would love to see a lot more of the anticipation and, and like building up to it. It's like it stops right. to tell you uh, and explain things like why he's called magic and stuff that it's like, OK, this is for like novices. But then you're just skipping over the stuff that other novices wouldn't know, you know? Right. You get what I'm saying? So it- Yeah, no, that, that's the trouble with anything like this is like, who are you catering this to? Are you catering it to the person who knows nothing or the person who already knows a lot but wants to know a lot more? Exactly. So in that, I could see it being not as like cohesive. You know, they're mm-hmm. they have talking heads left, right, and center, bro. Like there are so <laughs> many people in this show who come in and talk about Magic Johnson, especially people who are LA centric. Um, but no, it's really cool seeing the show, looking back at uh, a lot of the archive footage, his relationships that he had mm-hmm. with a lot of different players, uh, and then just his own personal life. And uh, yeah, I would recommend this one. And then of course, me, what's going to be my recommendation? Let me ask of the week? you about. Let me ask you about those talking heads. Um, I think sometimes when you get a documentary that's sort of about big figures, you have talking heads that are maybe just kind of there because they're famous faces. Like, of course, if if you can get Snoop Dogg to talk about Magic Johnson, like... That sounds cool. Why don't we do it? But like, is it is it the thing where it's a bunch of people who are famous and don't necessarily have interesting things to say? Or do you feel like the talking heads actually add a lot? It's not as bad as that. Like, they're just here to be like, oh, my gosh, and I like them. It's people who are like, yeah, yeah, I remember being at the forum back in the day and it was crazy. It was people who could afford the tickets to be there back in the day. So right. they get to tell you like, yeah, if we're talking about how we had a <laughs> like people practically stripping inside and it was its own party, uh, not just to watch the games. I guess they add that context to it, but <laughs> it, it, they're fine. <laughs> All right. 
Well, I'm I'm still interested to check that one out. They call me Magic over on Apple TV Plus. But that's about all that we've been watching. Let us know what you've been watching in the comments down below, or if you're with us on the live stream, let us know. Uh, Devesh did ask, slightly unrelated, but have either of us seen Bait? He says it's sort of in the same sector as Lighthouse. Absolutely fascinating. I actually don't know if I've heard about this one. You know, do you know about Bait? Uh, who directed it? Who's in it? Dash, you gotta tell us some more. What year did <laughs> it come out? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Interesting. All right. So why don't we get into the new to see and talk about some of the upcoming film and television and stuff that we are going to be checking out uh, tonight over on HBO. It's good. Is the premiere of We Own This City. This is the latest series. It's a mini-series from George Pelicanos and David Simon, who are names you might recognize from their work on, I don't know, maybe the greatest television show of all time, The Wire. Yeah, you don't have uh, a Wire not vibes. Only this that. Is this like The Wire, Zach? Yeah, yeah. It's a little... It's got Wire vibes, weirdly. Um, not only is it George Pelicanos and David Simon doing another show, but they're doing another show on crime in Baltimore. This really is kind of like The on Wire HBO. season six on HBO, nonetheless, uh, with a lot of the people who were in The Wire. That's funny. When Marlo shows up and is a cop, it blew my mind. Um, but I... Let, let's talk a little bit about this show because I, I know you caught the first episode. I've caught the entire mini, mini series oh. already uh, because, I, as I mentioned, I think The Wire is like one of the great achievements in American media, uh, and this show has a lot of that legacy. It's done. It does the similar approach to talking about a modern issue in that in that David Simon has this thing where he's able to really unpack an institution, right? He's not, this isn't like the John Bernthal cop show. This is a show about the layers of misconduct and um, lack of oversight that go into creating an atmosphere that is untenable, right? Uh, it, it shows how over many years, the show goes far, as far back as I think like 2002, uh, the situation of the uh, gun trace task force in Baltimore, this horribly corrupt, corrupt division of the Baltimore PD, how they were able to get into place and get into power and, you know, be, how they were able to manipulate laws in the way they were. It's very systematic in its approach and its unpacking of these issues in a way that's so intelligently done. I think it's maybe a little bit more direct, a little more blunt than some of the work that he did in The Wire, but okay. it, it's at least structurally and thematically, this is play, playing in the same ballpark. This is really, really good. I, I think it's not heresy to say this is basically The Wire season six. I mean... I loved the first episode. This was one of those ones where it's I didn't really even, yeah, I didn't know that this was like something that was even on the radar. And then to say that it was a mini series and everything that you just had said about it, uh, yeah, we have all the episodes. I have not. I've only been able to catch one, which we're getting one uh, weekly, if I'm not mistaken, on Mondays, which I'm surprised. Uh, Mondays, but hey, I guess it's a good Monday show after <laughs> after you've had yeah. your, your tough day at the office, back from work or back from the weekend, then go home and watch an hour of crime television, but. Uh, yeah, no, I'm excited to eat this one up and uh, just yeah. get in that world because the first one, the first one was heavy, man. Mm -hmm. It, I mean, look, it just opens on this like amazing monologue from John Bernthal on policing and like basically how the police can be untouchable. Yep. Uh, it, when it starts like that, you know you're in for something special. So we're, we'll talk about it more as it goes along. I hope more intercuties catch up with it since it's airing tonight. You know, it's this interesting thing that HBO is doing because for years and years and years, they would only debut new shows on Sunday nights. That's what, and uh, now yeah. we're in... We're in the streaming era where there's just constantly new shows. So HBO's like, all right, we'll do two nights a week. Right. <laughs> How about that? I'm excited. How about that? Yeah. Um, another film that we've talked about previously that is now going to be more available than it previously was is Seven Days, the romantic comedy with Karen Sothi and uh, Geraldine Viswanathan that takes place during COVID as a uh as a potential as a 
dating pair uh, mm-hmm. locks down together. Um, I thought we both gave this one positive reviews because it's pretty charming, even if it's like, you know, not necessarily the the funniest romantic comedy. I think their their presence sells this movie. The two actors who are pretty familiar at this point between their work together in Miracle Workers or uh, Geraldine and Blockers and Karen and Deadpool. Yeah, I thought it was really cute. I know I picked up the Indie Spirit Award, so hopefully... Uh, a lot more people get to catch it, even if not on VOD, especially when it drops on streaming at some point. Yeah. Uh, on April 27th, The Mystery of Marilyn Monroe, The Unheard Tapes, debuts on Netflix. A little surprised they're not holding this one to a little bit closer to the release date of Blonde. The Prime and the People. Netflix, Netflix seems to be doing everything they can to, like stop people from watching blonde or stop blonde from getting out. Uh, apparently did, I don't know if you saw that uh, Netflix refused to screen blonde at con if it didn't screen in competition. And then con of course has that rule that it can't screen in competition because it's Netflix. And so it's not screening at, at con no blonde at con. <laughs> well, you know, the More. reaction you get. <laughs> What else we got? <laughs> More HBO content. The Survivor. This one is directed by Barry Levinson. Yes, Sam's dad. Nepotism. <laughs> out of control. <laughs> uh, this one is with His Ben Foster, father? Vicky Graves, Billy Magnuson, Peter Sarsgaard, Danny DeVito, and John Logazimo. Pretty solid oh. cast here. Um, this one was... I think it debuted at the Toronto Film Festival last year and got pretty solid reviews. So I'm curious to catch up with this one about a uh, a boxer who fought fellow b- prisoners in a concentration camp. Um, so v- very interesting premise for a film there. On April 28th, the Hot Docs Film Festival starts up. One of the premier film festivals for documentary filmmaking. Uh, the annual Canadian festival, which has a lot of digital, uh, digital offerings as well. It runs from April 28th through May 8th. So definitely worth checking it out. If you are a fan of documentary films, there's of course some films that we've caught previously. It's places like Sundance and stuff like that there. Um, if you don't want to do a whole film festival of documentaries, you can go to Discovery Plus and watch Dear Mr. Brody, one of Arturo and my favorite festival documentaries from last year, uh, South by Southwest and Very Tribeca like- Selection. Uh, yeah, what did you think about Dear Mr. Brody? Hey, the less you know about it, the better. That's all I'm going to say. It was one of my favorite docs uh, from the festival runs last year, and I'm very curious to see where it ends up on my list this year. So if you have Discovery Plus, you're able to get a free trial or something like that, or they combine it with HBO soon, keep this one on your radar at least. Yeah. Uh, also on March, or sorry, April 28th, The Offer finally premieres. This is the new biographical miniseries about the making of perhaps the greatest film of all time, Francis Ford Coppola's The Godfather, uh, with, featuring actors like Miles Teller, Juno Temple, uh, Colin Hanks, and of course Dan Fogler playing Francis Ford Coppola, because that's, I'm sure, what everybody thinks of when they think of Dan Fogler. Um, I haven't had a chance to catch. I haven't had a chance to catch any of these yet. Did you watch some of the offer? Yeah, I watched a couple of the first episodes. It's going to be going weekly, but they gave us the whole bunch. And yeah, look, I'm I'm really surprised how much they're leading on the filming and production side of things. Like it is not so much. It is a drama in and of itself, but it really isn't uh, focusing on this idea of like what it what happens in in a production and all the logistics and having to go here and having to fly for a meeting and all those different things. I'm a sucker for that. Some people yeah. may find that boring, but that is that is what the initial episodes have been so far. And then obviously, as we get more into the filming of it, I'm sure it's going to open up more. Yeah, but I like it. On April 29th, this Friday, there's a whole bunch coming out, including Anais in Love, The Aviary, Bad Roads, which was Ukraine's submission to the 2022 Oscars, Black Box, uh, a movie called Crush is showing up on Hulu. Have you seen anything about Crush? I have not seen anything about Crush. It looks cute. I feel like this might be one that is a hit with with the youngins, with the... 
with the Tumblr crowd who probably aren't on Tumblr anymore. I, I don't know where the young people are, are, are these days on the internet. Uh, but Crush looks kind of cute. It's over on Hulu. Then also on April 29th, Fortress Sniper's Eyes. This is one of the many direct-to-VOD movies that Bruce Willis has done. We didn't talk about Bruce Willis. I don't know if we want to talk about that now. But uh, yeah, still, it's still some Bruce Willis movies coming out there. Also on April 29th, Hatching. The horror film Out of Sundance from IFC Midnight. I think we both enjoyed this one, a kind of dark and weird creature tale. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's really good. Yeah. Uh, I Love America is out on Amazon Prime Video. Memory, the latest Liam Neeson action thriller, I know that. is out it's in theaters. Dutch remake. Oh, a remake of what? A, a Dutch, Dutch film called Memory, yeah, from I think uh, 2000s. Very cool. Uh, Unplugging is going to digital and VOD. That one stars Eva Longoria. Vortex. Oh, you were going to say something? No, I, you skipped one, but you know what? I'm about to mention it anyway. I, I'm skipping it because I'm gotcha. saving it for last. <laughs> uh, Vortex, the latest from Gaspar No, is also coming out on Friday. I'm very intrigued by this one. It's about the last days of an elderly couple with dementia. It's filmed it's got, with some split screen yeah. and some stuff. I'm it looks curious. really, really cool. And Dario uh, I think Argento. you were about to mention, yeah, the, the male lead of the film is master of Giallo himself, Dario Argento. So very, Damn. very cool. Suspiria fans, um, be out there. Yeah, so a lot... That's really exciting, but I think the thing that we're most excited for on Friday, which we can just use this to transition straight into picks, picks for, the, for week. the week. Let's do it. All right, what uh, what are you really excited for uh, this Friday on Amazon Prime Video? Uh, another one in where I'm very curious to see if they're going to continue seasons here. Uh, these came out very close to each other back in 2019, which was Russian Doll and Undone. My recommendations for the week... Uh, Undone on Prime is starting its season two as well. If you have not seen the first one, do yourself a favor. Go check that out. It stars Bob Odenkirk. It stars uh, Rosa Salazar. It stars really a a really nice cast that for season two didn't even have to meet each other because they are using rotorscope technology. Uh, You may have seen several other stuff that deals with that. Uh, Even Apollo. Uh, 11 and a half, yeah. 10 and a half, uh, does a similar thing. He doesn't call it rotoscope, but nonetheless, uh, it's a really cool way of being able to have actors in like different places. And then it's the animation of them wherever on a green screen being brought in into this very fantastical story of a woman who has lost her father in season one and realized that she may possess an ability to be able to go save him. And now for season two, may need to save herself. Put that one on your radar. Season one was fantastic. Season two is solid. But season one was fantastic, and I'm curious to see if they do anything more with it. Uh, the second one would have been Russian Doll. Definitely get on Russian Doll if you have not caught it. Uh, I love both seasons equally. That is one of my favorite shows, one of my favorite things out of Netflix. So definitely have that on your radar. Uh, keeping on the streaming sides, Apple TV Plus, or sorry, Apple TV Plus for the magic show, HBO for Winning Time. Zach. You need to get on Winning Time. We talked about how the fallout of Adam McKay and Will Ferrell happened because he really wanted this role of uh, Bussy. Did not get it. They have not talked. John C. Riley. I don't know, man. I cannot think of anyone else who would have killed this role. He is fantastic in it. It is a really- You're on Adam McKay's side. <laughs> I'm on the side of cinema, Zach, on good TV. <laughs> And I don't know who could have brought it better. It is a solid show, dude. It is a really good look at the uh, Showtime Lakers that cannot be called the Showtime Lakers. So the show is called Not Winning on HBO, Time. They can. And I believe that they're trying to make this an anthology. Uh, I know. Super- yes. So what? What is they, happening here? They announced they announced that they're going to do a season two and it's going to be on the Shaquille O'Neal Lakers, which like it, it seems like they've done a pretty great job of casting magic Johnson and Kareem Abdul Jabbar's, which, you know, that that's, that's crazy that they were able to get actors who at least somewhat in, uh, no, they embody uh, fulfill them, those roles. How are they going to get anybody to embody Shaquille, the diesel O'Neal? It's going to be on Shaq and the fool, dude. <laughs> 
but yeah, definitely check out that show. That show is fantastic. Uh, so between Undone, Russian Doll, and Winning Time, to give you a free pick for the week, Beast Clawing at Straws, one of my favorites yeah. from, what, a couple years ago? Uh, super great thriller. Over on Tubi. You ain't got Tubi over on Roku. You ain't got none of those? I'm sure there's another way to stream it or with a VPN, <laughs> but that's that's my free recommendation uh, to stream for the week. What about you, Zach? Very cool. Uh, I'm going with a few things that we've already talked about at length. I think the best movie that is in theaters right now, I mean, if it's not Everything Everywhere All at Once, which we've already talked about a few t- times on The Weekend Must Watch, then it's The Northman, the latest from Robert Eggers. Very good. Just an amazing, epic movie that I'm hoping um, doesn't lose Focus Features too much money because I want them to throw $70 million at my favorite filmmakers more often. Yeah, um, Barry, man, just it's it's an incredible show. Um, I think it's it's people have not been giving it its praise quite enough because it's been so long, but it's all going to come flooding back with this season because I promise to get on it. it. It's really good stuff. It's really good stuff. Um, and then we own this city, which is destined to be overlooked the same way the wire was because it's just a crazy month for TV between all the things we've already mentioned and all the stuff that's still going to come out. We might just have to do like a whole like TV catch up spoilers edition of the podcast at some point once yeah. we all get through winning time and Russian doll and Barry and we own the city hey, and blah, blah, blah. It's a good year but for TV already, man. I get to that It's much. good. It's real good. I feel like a lot, I of, have a lot of shows. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of shows are, are sneaking in before the end of June Emmy's deadline and it's going to make it really, really tough for us. Um, but yeah, the Northman, Barry, and we own the city. Those are definitely the three best things to catch this weekend. Um, but I think that's about all for this week's installment of the Weekend Must Watch. You can catch more from me, Zach Shevich, by following me on Twitter, Instagram, or Letterboxd at ZShevich. That's Z-S-H-E-V as in Vortex, I-C-H. And check out my YouTube channel at youtube.com slash multiplex show artwork. And people find more from you. You can find me over at Let Me Explain on Twitter, Letterboxd, but every week here on the Intercut Podcast. You can listen to every episode of the Intercut Podcast on iTunes, Anchor, Spotify, whatever your favorite podcatcher is. I like Overcast. And then make sure you're subscribed not just to the audio feed, but to the video feed as well on YouTube.com slash IntercutPod, where you can catch our bright, smiling faces as we break down the latest in entertainment. Find new episodes of the Weekend Must Watch streaming on our YouTube channel every Monday around 3 p.m. Eastern normally, but we're, we're going a little bit early here just to make sure we can uh, fit it in. Please leave us a comment, like the video, and consider heading over to iTunes to give us that much-requested five-star review. You know, that really just kind of feeds my soul. It's like, I, I, I need those to keep... To, to break through the monotony and the illness and the, and the modern angst out of society. I don't know. Just give just give us some five star reviews, man. It would it would make me happy. We're so close to a hundred of them. Really? I just, I just need I just need a couple I'll of you to. I'll create an account, Zach. Don't you worry. I haven't left. Yeah. Uh, shout out to our listeners in Ecuador for putting us not just on the TV and film podcast charts, but on the all podcast charts. We're Whoa. moving on up in Ecuador. So shout out to all y'all. Like our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages. Support our Patreon. All of them are at IntercutPod, where you can get updates throughout the week, as well as uh, early episode outlines and access to our monthly patron hangouts. We we owe the patrons a hangout. I think we're going to probably have to do one after next week's weekend must-watch. Mm-hmm. So uh, you can, for as little as $1 a month, support the show and come yell at us about your favorite movies. We'll, we'll be doing that again next week. So... Uh, yeah, head over to patreon.com slash intercutpod or our social medias to follow Art, to follow me, to follow all of our guests throughout the week. Thanks again for tuning in. And until next time, my fate has brought me here to find what was stolen from me. It's a threat. I don't, I don't know what you stole from me, but, but I'm threatening you, Arturo. <laughs>